Hey, it's time for another edition of Spitting Lugs with Tom Luganbill from ESPN. I'm Lance Taylor from the next round on Disrupt the Media. Like and subscribe. It's always brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. Use that code next round. Get that uh, bonus at checkout, mybookie.ag. Luganbill, big battle this weekend. College Station, one of the few campuses and venues I've never been to in the SEC. I've always wanted to go to Kyle Field. Just haven't done it. Um, Now you've got Alabama rolling in there. They're only a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Vegas tells you this game is an absolute coin flip. Um, Just on the surface, I mean, how how many issues will that defensive front give Alabama's offensive line? I think it could be significant. Um, you know, you go back to the the Texas A&M-Miami game. Miami right now is averaging almost 225 rushing yards a game, leading the ACC. They had 77 against Texas A&M. So, you know, nobody's been able to run it on, on Texas A&M. And, and that's what, if, if I'm Alabama, that's concerning because you're going to be on the road. And this is a team they could really push you to have to throw the ball to win. Like if Alabama gets behind the chains on early downs, that is not going to be a good recipe for success. Um, and I don't know if they can win the game. And so it's imperative, in my opinion, that that Alabama get off to a fast start and stay ahead of the chains. Because if they get in third and six, third and seven, third and eight plus, and they get an obvious passing downs, that is not where they want their quarterback. I think this is one of the games of the weekend where a quarterback on the road is going to have to throw the ball to win the game. Because I think Texas A&M offensively will put up points. They can create explosive plays. They've got dynamic playmakers. They have an identity now on offense. Uh, this would be really concerning, you know, if, if I'm an Alabama fan, just because it can put this offense in an uncomfortable position when it comes to asking them or requiring them to do something that they don't, they aren't overly proficient at just yet. Yeah. And if they get in those situations and they get behind, you start to look at the wide receiver position. And this has been glaring the last couple of years because for years, Alabama had dominant wide receivers. We saw at one point Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, and Jalen Waddle all in the same, same field at the same time. You know, know, one play, you're just like, what the hell's going on? And now, have they missed on recruiting? Um, and, and I'll throw this stat at you real quick. They've got one receiver through four games that has double-digit receptions. That's mm-hmm. Isaiah Bond with 12. Bond, yeah. If you go back to 2020, Devontae Smith, and probably bad example, he ended up winning a Heisman Trophy. But those first few games, he was sharing reps with Jalen yeah. Waddle. He had 38 receptions through four games. And you just don't have that go-to guy. So have they missed on recruiting? You know, I, I maybe to some degree, or we could also make the argument that they went on such a run that never happens in recruiting. Because before all those guys you referenced, there was Calvin Ridley, there was Amari Cooper, there was Julio Jones. I mean, they went on a streak there that was just like mind-boggling of carryover of play uh, of playmakers. And so maybe they haven't gotten that um, that true go-to uh difference maker that we're accustomed to seeing i think as a group they're growing i think jalen hale's got a chance to become a really really good player in this offense but again he's young bond was a freshman last year so a little bit of it might be age and maturity but at the same time too i've seen on multiple occasions including last week at mississippi state i know they were 10 to 12 in the passing game 
but there were a lot of missed opportunities. And that's not on the wideouts. There were some guys running open. Quarterback's got to get them the ball. So I think I think it's a combination of that. Uh, it does fall on the quarterback to some degree to be able to throw the open guy and, and get him the ball consistently. So Max Johnson, the one thing I knew about coming out of high school, he was Brad Johnson's kid. Sure. How highly rated was he coming out when he signed with LSU now at A&M? And do you trust him in a big game like this? Yeah, he was a four-star player, top 10 at his position for us out of that class in the ESPN 300. Very talented, but more of your traditional prototypical pocket passer, which we, we don't see a lot of those, right, anymore. Now, he's not a statue, but, you know, he's not a guy like Jalen Milrow where Alabama defensively has to go, oh, my goodness, we got to account for this guy's legs on every snap. So, in essence, to some degree, you're playing 11 on 10 when, when you're playing uh, against Texas A&M. And that was the same with Connor Wigman. Um, I, I think they're very, very fortunate to have Max Johnson. They know exactly who he is. When he has played, he has had a level of success. At one point towards the end of his freshman year when he played at LSU, on um, the latter part of that season, I think he had eight touchdowns to just one interception over the course of three or four games. Very, very efficient. And then uh, things just kind of got lost in the shuffle there. And, you know, credit, credit the young man. He, you know, he doesn't win the job. It sticks around. It's the place that he wants to be. He's toughed it out. And I thought he came in and looked great against Auburn. Um, clearly, they have faith in him. I think the one thing that you will not lose with him that you had with Connor Wegman is the ability to push the ball downfield vertically. That's been the biggest difference I've seen in this Texas A&M offense is they've been able to create a lot of explosive plays. I don't think that changes with Mac Johnson at quarterback. Do you think this is a situation with either one of these teams takes that second loss? I think Miami's really good. So I do, you know, too. Yeah, that's almost a forgivable loss on the road there for Texas A&M. But could you still see yourself for the first time getting a two-loss team into a college football playoff? I think it's going to be really, really difficult. The only the, – so much of, the, of that answer, I think, revolves around Notre Dame and the fact that the, the Pac-12 could cannibalize itself. So we could see a – you know, Notre Dame's already got a loss. They're about to go embark on four straight weeks against ranked opponents. And then it's going to really ease up for them. Um, so they could have two. I think the Pac-12 could have multiple two-loss teams and be really, really good teams. So where does that leave you? It leaves you with Florida State having to take care of business or Miami, because I think Miami's in the mix there. Um, Texas or Oklahoma. And I think the two-loss team, if it was out of the West, would have to win the SEC championship. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. So a lot of ifs, you know, ifs the biggest word in sports, right? Um, but uh, if that were to occur, again, if, I think you'd still need some help around you. Ole Miss gave, or had 11 penalties, gave up 637 total yards, gave up 49 points, and they beat LSU. And I think I might be the first to make this comparison. I'm sure a lot of people have. But LSU is the USC of the SEC. I mean, Only they're have better players. Yeah, That's and their offense. so startling about it. Their offense yeah. is incredible. Yeah, but tell me what's going on with the defense because Jaden Daniels is locked in. You finally find, found a capable running back for the first time in a couple of years in Logan Diggs, who's consistent. You've got two big-time receivers in Thomas and Neighbors. Sure. And so the offense isn't the problem. They can outscore or score with anybody, but the defense, I just, I don't get this in year two under Brian Kelly. 
I, I don't either, especially with the athletes they have, because you're not wrong in your comparison to, to SC, but SC doesn't have anywhere near the players that LSU actually has on defense. So to see them not be productive, I think it comes down to two things, poor tackling overall on a consistent basis and poor gap fits. When you're supposed to be in a hole, you're supposed to be in a gap and you're expected to, to, to maintain that gap, they're not doing that consistently. So people are ripping off chunk plays and a lot of it is is discipline and technique when it comes to gap integrity. You know, listen, I had this discussion, um, I think, with Jim on Monday, on, uh, on Monday Morning Live. And, you know, tackling is an epidemic across college football or a lack thereof. It's not just exclusive to LSU. Because what's happened is offensive football has evolved to not only stretch the field vertically, but stretch it horizontally. Every nook and cranny is being accounted for. So we are taking and creating more and more space, putting players more and more in space. They're probably at an athletic disadvantage for most teams that aren't like an Alabama or a Georgia or an Ohio State. And then what we've done to compound that is we're so concerned with player safety, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be, that we don't, we don't uh, practice tackling. We certainly don't practice it live. We rarely go man on man. You, you can chase that donut thing all across the field all you want. But that donut doesn't have dukes, doesn't have moves, doesn't stop and start, doesn't have hips. And so we're, we're trying to do what's best for the player, and I get that. But you can't expect these, these guys to have limited contact and limited practice time tackling elite-level athletes and don't do it during the week and then go out on Saturday and for three, three hours be a really good tackling team. You know, this is, this is happening nationwide. And um, – it's a problem in the NFL too. The NFL doesn't tackle much better than, than college football right well, now. Do, so, do you think a lot of it goes back to the? Some of these guys are like, "Damn, I mean, I've, I've got to watch how I tackle now," and it's such a split second thing. Like, you, you don't want to get a targeting call. You don't want to get right out of the game. You you obviously don't want to get a fifteen yard penalty. Um, is some of that at play? Yeah, I think the bang bang plays that you know are not intentional or not malicious, and then they do result in a targeting and. And I, I think it's such a punitive uh, penalty the way we handle targeting right now. Listen, I mean, we shouldn't be suspending players from halves of games and the next half of a game. Um, there's enough of a detriment now with, with targeting that everybody has adapted. We've moved past that. And I do think it does have an impact on tackling. But moreover, it's, the, it's not the bang-bang hit, the timing of something over the middle. You dislodge the ball. It's the when the back catches the ball on a wide route out of the backfield and the linebackers in space one on one with them. How and you're expected to break down and make that tackle when the other guy's a better athlete, man. That's hard to do. This game used to be a condensed phone booth game, right? And and you know, everybody talked about three yards in a cloud of dust and things of that nature. Well, everybody's tackling or near the football all the time. Now we've taken everybody and we've put them as far away from the football as possible, taken that player, put them in the open field and say, good luck. So last year, after a long Saturday of drinking, uh, we did a post-game show and I bet Ryan Brown, my right nut or my left nut, I forget which one. Both, that, maybe both. Well, I, I'm only missing one. He still holds it. He won't give it back. Uh, but I, I bet him that uh, USC was going to score 65-plus in some game, and they, they didn't should've. do it. Uh, with should've. that said, I would have put both my nuts. If you would have told me in Columbia, Missouri this week, there's going to be a 3-2, and two, there's going to be a 5-0. and oh. The 5-0 and oh is going to be LSU. The 3-2 and two is going to be Missouri. 
does Missouri have a shot this weekend against LSU? Yeah, because they can score. I think we're going to have another track meet. I mean, some of these SEC games are turning into Pac-12 games. And they Brady are. Cook hasn't turned the ball over. He's thrown 11 touchdowns and zero interceptions. Luther Burden might be the best receiver in all of college football. Forget about the SEC. Nobody's come up with an answer to him. And uh, they're playing just good enough defense. Now, the problem is just good enough with the way LSU's playing offense isn't going to be good enough. So Missouri's going to have to score. They get this game at home. They've got confidence. you got to wonder, like, what is LSU? How is LSU going to respond? And I said this about Clemson last week when they went up to Syracuse. You're, you're, you're out of the college football playoff race, essentially. Um, you're now fighting for a potential New Year's Six Bowl game, which isn't a guarantee. And are you going to feel sorry for yourself, or are you going to go out and battle? Like, wh- which LSU team shows up in Columbia, Missouri? And it'll, t- it'll say a lot about their coaching staff. It'll say a lot about their leadership and their maturity. Clemson answered that last week. And they went out, and they looked like Clemson. And it was a no-brainer. Um, if LSU goes in with the same mentality, then they're going to have the better overall roster profile than Missouri. But Missouri's playing with confidence right now, man. You can't put a price tag on that. Hey, Bo, uh, back to Luther Burden III. And I hate to float this out there, but I'm sure a lot of people are. He's from East St. Louis. People yes. will say, hey, man, how high is he going to go in the draft? Well, he can't go in the draft. He's a true sophomore. What is that guy worth in NIL? And is he one of those guys that is so involved in the Missouri program, loves the state, he won't leave? Or is this going to be a Jordan Addison situation where he's going to get a seven-figure deal to go to a premier program? Well, this is, this is you know, the discussion that we have now where recruiting isn't about adding players to your team. It's about retaining your own team. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. When I had Tulane and Ole Miss a few weeks later, they have a big motto on the wall, and it says, recruit, retain, develop. Because that's what this has become now, right? So you better have an NIL collective that can compete on a national stage. And that was one of Pitt's issues. Like, how is Pitt supposed to compete in name, image, and likeness with SC or with A&M or with Georgia? It's not going to happen. Yeah. I don't know if Missouri can. I'm a little bit surprised that there wasn't a huge pursuit. Maybe there was to target him this last offseason. And maybe you're right. Maybe he's a Missouri guy through and through, and this is where he wanted to play. And he's got a great relationship with Drink. Um, but he he's having a, a, a big money-making, you know, six, seven-figure type of season that is going to garner a lot of attention, and they better be ready for it at Missouri. That's just it, the reality of the football right now. It's Spittin' Lukes with ESPN's Tom Lugabell. I'm Lance Taylor here from the next round. It is on Disrupt the Media. Like, subscribe. Tell your friends. It's brought to you by Lance'sLock.com. Major League Baseball playoffs are here. We're going to win for you. Coming off another winning week in college and the NFL, go to Lance'sLock.com. Free play every single day. It's only 100 bucks per month. That's it, Lance'sLock.com. Nick Saban, in his press conference, somebody asked him about rankings. He's like, I have no idea where we're ranked. I don't know anything about that. It's not important. Um... But I wanted to ask you this, as a former coach and player, did you know where you were ranked? And the other thing, do you know what the spread is? Because I swear, and I'm not just saying this, Mark Stoops for Kentucky, as much as I like him, as good of a coach as he is, he always seems to know what the number is. Yes, you knew where you were ranked. You knew where you stood. I had never, ever, ever one time as a player or a coach gave any thought to the number line. Okay. It just wasn't um, professional football or otherwise. Uh, but, yeah, 
you always knew where you stood. You always know who's in front of you, who's behind you, who's on the slate. You know where the stretch of games is going to come that you got to be ready for and you got to be healthy for. You, The one thing you really know is where that bye week is. Like that bye week is circled every offseason and you're trying to navigate how do we get to this point healthy, get beyond that point and get healthier and then hope it doesn't happen to us again from an injury standpoint. The point spread thing, and I've always found it interesting that people think that can infiltrate or or does infiltrate the the coaching mindset there are there are so many things going on during the week especially if you're head coach because you're having to handle responsibilities that have nothing to do with x's and o's have nothing to do with your players have nothing to do with your locker room and so you're juggling a lot of balls in the air at one time you don't have a single millisecond to consider the line you just don't i mean they're just and especially during the game especially during the game. So um, I don't know. I just never believed in that side of it having an impact. Did you ever – so Monday night we had the Jets at Lance's like got kind of plus seven and a half. Yeah. Lucky to get home with that. But Pat Mahomes made the right play sliding on the two to virtually end the game with the Jets having no timeouts. They win the game by seven. We go home winners. But did you ever have anybody come to you and say, man, that was a bad beat? Like if you guys didn't kick the field goal, we would have covered or because we kicked the field goal or interception return, did it ever come up after the fact? No, never had that happen one time. And uh, never even, never even been a discussion. I don't know if I've ever even thought of it until you brought it up like right now. Um, even like with friends and I'm, I'm not a, a, a better gambler. I'm, I try to value my my income a little bit. <laughs> I'll let you be the degenerate. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I have obviously friends that love it and they love the line and this and that. And and um, so you know, after games, even those types of guys never would even bring it up ever. Hey, where are you on – I got to watch Georgia last week. I think we all saw them struggle. They were yeah. fortunate to survive, especially with Brock Bowers. Without him, they're in a lot of trouble. But now they've got Kentucky. I wish this game was in Lexington. It would be so much more interesting. Speaking of spreads, they're a 14.5-point spread at home. But mm-hmm. Kentucky is so physical as they are year in, year out. They've got a quality quarterback that really hasn't been utilized – Liam Cohen's got three really good receivers, and he got Ray Davis, who is just running with his damn head on fire right now. Do you give Kentucky a fighting shot? I do because they'll match physicality. Like, they're really getting back to bully ball. What what Mark Stoops has based and founded this program upon is we're going to develop talent, we are going to bloody your nose at the point of attack, and we're going to beat you up, and we're going to be physical. And they ain't gotten away from that a little bit the last couple of years. I think he was very frustrated, and he mentioned that a, a bunch um, each of the last couple of offseasons. I think he's finally got this team back to where, yes, they've got good skill. They can throw it if they need to. But at the end of the day, their bread and butter is going to be lining up, put you in a phone booth, and going to run it right downhill at you. And, you know, my, my take on Georgia is, you know, raise your hand if you want to be a go-to playmaker, but your last name can't be Bowers. Like, somebody emerge. I mean, so you got to have sooner or later, whether it's Kentucky and, you know, I think Brad White's really good. Um, whoever it may be, somebody's going to line up and they're going to take him away, right? And what is, you're going to force Carson Beck, who I thought grew up at Auburn this last week. And, and as the game wore on, he got better and better and better. 
but force him to go somewhere else with the football. And I, listen, the one-on-one stuff, I said this this weekend, even when Brock Bowers is covered, he's not covered. And then he throws it into double coverage last week, and the guy still catches it. But you can't rely on that being your your mode of operation and have that play out for you each and every week. It's going to lead to turnovers. It's going to lead to tip balls. I think the biggest thing is if you don't give up explosive plays to Brock Bowers, all right, and you force them to earn it, then Carson Beck's going to have to go to other people. Well, who are those other people? They, they don't have, to me, that guy that you break the huddle and you go, okay, well, where is he? We better account for him. Yeah, for whatever reason, Lad McConkey's really good, and he's back. You yeah, wonder if just he's... got him back, though. Yeah, Just got him back, and he is good. But I also think he's more of that, hey, if it's third and seven, I'm going to get nine, and I'm going to make the play. You know, I'm going to settle in the zones, and I'm going to do this and that. Um, but, like, they, can you imagine if they had somebody on the outside that was just like an absolute jet? And AJ what Green? that would do. Yeah, AJ, is that, AJ Green would be a great one. How about uh, – Adonai Mitchell that's at Texas right now is a big, yeah. fast kid that's making plays like crazy. But it, what that's doing, so now people are going to really start, they're going to bracket him, they're going to double him, they're going to press him at the line of scrimmage, and they're going to try and play over the top of him. And they're going to say, all right, Carson Beck, do you have the discipline? And All right, Mike Bobo, do you have the discipline to come up with other ways to move the ball through the air that don't include number 19? And listen, he's going to get his fair share of plays. He's going to make plays when he's covered. He's a Heisman Trophy caliber player that's playing the wrong position for the Heisman Trophy. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, that that's a reality. I think he's that good. I think he and Jadavion Chidavi, uh, Sanders at Texas are light years ahead of everybody else at the tight end position in college football this year. So, um, but I listen, Kentucky's going to go on the road. They have confidence. They're going to run it. If, if they're not able to run it, and I'm not saying they're going to run for 280 yards against Georgia like they did last week versus Florida. But Florida went into that game as the top-ranked rush defense in the conference. A lot of people wouldn't wouldn't have realized yeah, that. Not anymore. So I, not anymore. So I think they'll run it, but they will have to make some plays through the air. They will have to score, I think, through the air. You, you know, Georgia. You know, Georgia has almost double the touchdowns on the ground than they have through the air. They don't have a receiver that's caught more than one touchdown. Right? It's been Brock Bowers and rushing touchdowns. It's kind of similar for. Kentucky because it's had to be so one of these two quarterbacks is going to have to make some big plays through the air and get some explosives to the wide receiver positions that result in points although Clemson's ultimate goal of winning a national championship probably out of reach we discussed that last week I give them credit going up to a uh, somewhat tough environment against a really good defense in in Syracuse you go to Chapel Hill this week 230 ABC to see Syracuse in North Carolina going back that first possession how different do you think the game turns out if Garrett Schrader doesn't fumble on that 19-yard run where they're in Clemson territory? They're in plus territory. He fumbles yeah. there. Seemed to kind of flip things around. Yeah, he got rocked. And, he did. and if you actually go – if you go to the second series, he pitches the ball poorly, and they fumble it inside their own 15. So here we are. In less than five minutes, it's 14 nothing Clemson. And now you're, you're scurrying, you're pressing – and and I'll say this, man, I would not want to be any team down the stretch that has to play Clemson. Clemson's pissed off. And they, they should be. They they should be. They mauled. I mean, it could have been a criminal act or considered one, the offensive front for Syracuse last week. And um, 
Cade Klubnick just looks better and better and better. Uh, Tyler Brown, the receivers emerged, and all of a sudden he's a dude. Um, it was an impressive outing because that Clemson team could have gone up there and pouted and felt bad for themselves and and played bad again. And that's you know the turnovers and and spotty kicking game are why Clemson is where they are. It has nothing to do with their talent level. They are they are a top five to seven talent level team, but Syracuse. As we've been going over this game and obviously watching a ton of North Carolina because we haven't had them yet, Syracuse is battling a, a couple of things from an uphill standpoint. They're so beat up in the offensive line. They're really beat up at wide receiver, not having a Rondé Gadsden, not having Isaiah Jones, two huge losses. The other receivers are all young and they're trying to come along. Garrett Schrader is really their only significant run threat. So all the offense falls on his shoulders. So one thing I will say and why this game could get interesting is – um, Syracuse can play on defense. They've got some NFL-level guys, and Rocky Long's done a great job with that. And when you have to play that 3-3-5, it's something you don't see every week. It's almost like an offense, or excuse me, a defense, having to prepare for a triple option team. That's kind of what this is like when you're on offense preparing for them. They lead the ACC in sacks with 16 sacks, so they can pressure you, they can get after you. It's interesting because um, North Carolina has not been able to run the football at all on first down. All right, so what they have done is they have found themselves in third and seven plus on average. Their average third yards in line to gain is seven oh my yards, God. right? But guess what? They're second in the country behind Washington State in actually converting them. And that's all on Drake May, man. I mean, when Drake, they need to play out of Drake May, he doesn't have the passing numbers right now because they've been able to sustain drives, run the football, and get inside the five-yard line and score with the running game. So that's it's, he's completing 72% of his passes. It ain't, he, the numbers aren't a reflection of him regressing. It's the approach that they've taken that's been different. So, uh, listen, they can't, they, they can't turn the ball. North Carolina cannot afford to turn the ball over because you'll keep Syracuse in the game. That's the thing. And this Syracuse defense can cause problems for you. So it's the uh, Luganville game. So what's the weather going to be like in Chapel Hill? That's a good question. By the way, speaking of that dome, if Syracuse ever got really good, they would not lose a home game. That was the loudest place I've been to in years. It was wow. definitely, it's only 45,000 people, but the ceiling is so low and it's not a huge, it's almost have they, like have they over- done Have they done renovations though? That place has been around forever. They have. They've done renovations and, they, and they've upgraded it and they haven't just put lipstick on a pig. Like they've done a really, really nice job. But it's if you haven't been there, it's almost like an oversized arena. It doesn't look like the Superdome, or it doesn't look like you know the dome in Indianapolis. It's it's small and the ceilings also. It is just loud as all get out. You couldn't hear yourself think. If, like I said, if they ever got good, I don't know. I can see why people lose up there. I mean that it, it's uh, it's it's something. So I haven't even checked the weather yet. You actually got me thinking. I hadn't even checked it yet. Well, I don't have my um, phone because they they did on an emergency broadcast or something. And by the so, way, what's up with that nonsense? What, no what, idea. What are we doing? And by the way, all over the internet, I don't know if you saw, they were telling you, okay, on your iPhone, you can go and you can eliminate this and turn off all your notifications, all of your alerts, all your boom, boom, boom. I did that, and it bypassed it. Yeah, of course. That's creepy, man. Yeah. It's creepy. I don't like this thing. Uh, okay, so on Spittin' Lugs here with ESPN's Tom Luganville, uh, we always talk a little entertainment here. And typically, <laughs> we give you something that we recommend. I watched some of the worst shit I've ever seen because it came up. You, you heard the story about this local nurse in Birmingham that saw a baby on the side of the road 
Yes. And she was missing for a couple of days. They said she was abducted by some guy with red hair and she ate nothing but Cheez-Its. And it was just this weird outlandish story, which she fabricated the entire thing. Uh, so somebody went and they made a movie on this thing. And they said it's based on false events, which is true. But they loosely based it on this situation. And it's called The Nurse That Saw the Baby on the Side of the Road. You can get this on Amazon Prime. It's $1.99. It's 48 minutes. <laughs> I was watching for the comedic value. And I didn't laugh one time. It was the worst shit, the worst waste of 48 minutes and $1.99 <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. So that is that is my one. I've got one recommendation. That is my one recommendation to not to stay lie. away from. Yeah, to stay away from. Okay, so I got one that I still I can't figure it out. It's it's living rent free in my head right now. Have you seen this naked attraction thing on HBO? No, no. I saw Naked and Afraid a couple of times. Okay, so it's like a British game show where they take these people. And they put them in these like cardboard boxes and they got colors. Like there's a yellow box and a green box and a blue box and a red box, whatever. And the people are naked. And they have people judge the naked people on their physical attributes. And wow. what, they, what they like or they are attracted to that they would be looking for in somebody. It is the strangest, oddest thing. It's on Max or formerly HBO Max. Yeah. It's and so the, can, can, it's right now it's the most watched thing on any streaming uh service anywhere. It's called Naked and Attractive? No, Naked Attraction, I think. A naked attraction. To, naked attraction. Yeah. Okay, so is is there interaction? Is it like almost like a box doll where people are coming up to yes. that? Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. Is is there any communication between whatever uh the 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 naked attraction is or yeah, whoever so like the, the like the, the host will say to the people judging like so what do you like about that person's butt or what do you like uh, is, is this like is that the right size for you and they'll be talking about like a man or a woman or what it is the weirdest freaking thing dude. but is there any reaction from whoever they're talking about yes they comment okay yeah so ultimately, is it like, uh, okay, we're a match. Let's go have a drink. Yeah, I guess that's what it gets to. I haven't gotten all the way through it. I started watching it, and I was kind of like, what am I doing? Like, what, what, is, what is the point of this whole thing? So I, I haven't even gotten through the whole thing yet. Yeah. But it'll remember get back in the day when we just had shitty programs like The Love Boat, Fantasy oh, Island? Oh, my God. Three, <laughs> three's Company. I, I've gone back on like TV land and watched that. I mean, we are in the golden era of TV and we've got so many options yeah. and I guess you got to be unique oh, with some of this stuff. But boy, our TV back in the day sucked. Dude, think about it. Think about like what, what, what we've grown up. So Brady Bunch, Three's Company, Gilligan's Island, like all of the 70s stuff, when you think about it, was like really bad. But then we got into the 80s and it got really good. The A-Team, Knight Rider, Quantum Leap. The greatest American hero. Yeah. Like you think about some of those 80s like TV shows that shaped our childhood. Everything that was on TV was good. Yeah. And I think the game changer really for TV now was, you know, FX started it, AMC. With and the then Shield. The, yeah, Shield the Shield changed everything. The it was changed un everything. Vic Mackey, man. I ran into Mike Chiklis. I was at a, uh, Great I was show. in New Orleans just a random weekend. I was watching my Rams and the Chiefs at walk ons, and Chiklis was in there. And he was filming American Horror Story. 
And I only saw one episode of the very first season of American Horror Story. So yeah. I forgot what the season was, but it had something to do with the plantation in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, he was a cool dude, though. But that was a great show back then. That was in the a day. great show. That was the first show I ever saw Walton Goggins on. Yep. And you know, when I saw Walton on that, I reached out to his publicist and he came on my original roundtable way back in the day. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a great dude, man. Dude, he has played his role on The Righteous Gemstones as Baby Billy is so freaking funny man he's oh, a talented guy you know tarantino's yeah. taking a liking to him and he's put him in uh in uh what the hateful eight he was also in django so i mean he's justified, justified and it yeah. looks like have you watched the new justified so i i started i watched two episodes and timothy oliphant's daughter was driving me insane so i had to cut it off but does it get better it, it does get better it gets a lot better and and she becomes less and less of the storylines so you okay. won't have to worry about that um but speaking of Walton Goggins, just get to the end. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Raylan yeah. Gibbons and uh, Boyd Crowder. And Boyd Crowder. Yeah, That's, I'll give dude, you the first run of that show was awesome. One more. We call him Employee 12 up here, but he tries to give me like a recommendation every couple of weeks. And he told me yesterday, yeah. he was like, have you ever seen Wrath of Man with Jason Statham? And I said, I haven't seen it. I've come across it. So I watched it. Wrath of the Man? Wrath of Man. Oh, Wrath of Man. That's a great movie. Yeah. And so I didn't realize Guy Ritchie directed it. Like first 45 minutes, I thought it was like not really well done and it was kind of cheesy. But the final hour and 15 was incredible. Yeah, and the movie. way they put together just the nonlinear jumping around with all the different storylines coming together, I thought it was really good. See, I'm a, I'm a big hit or miss guy in Guy Ritchie, right? I think some of his stuff's really good and other stuff's I'm like, okay. Did but you I like Snatch? Yeah, I like Snatch, but like I think his last three, Wrath of Man, The Gentleman. Yep, I like that. And The Covenant was awesome. Oh, yeah. The Covenant? Covenant? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. It seemed like a Guy Ritchie movie. No, and and I really didn't think the first half of this one did until the second half because he always puts in that really dark humor with the action. Yeah. But Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch were great. But then I I agree with you. Then it took, maybe it was the Madonna turn that he went on and. I think they ultimately got <laughs> married right. and his stuff went to shit. And then I, I agree with you. I think the last three, it's bounced back. Speaking of Jason Statham, did you see the bank job? I have not seen that. Go on to the bank, get the bank job. It's actually based on an actual heist that happened in Britain. It's really good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll check that out. I like job. Statham a lot. It's funny going back to lock, stock and two uh, smoking barrels. I think that was one of his first roles. He had hair and he didn't play a tough guy. And yeah. now he shaves the head. He's dating like a 20-year-old, and he's like major action star. Did you know that he's like a, was a competitive diver, high diver? No, I had no idea. Go look at it on Google. You'll see him with hair, like all the whoop de doos and the flips and the whole nine yards. No joke. Wow. The things yeah. you learn here on Spitting Luke's. That's right, man. We're, hey, hey, man. Listen, you, we're broad, right? We're, 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 we're broad spectrum here. That's what we do, brother. Uh, enjoy Chapel Hill. I've never actually been to that city. Oh. I grew up a North Carolina basketball fan. I phased out of that. Beautiful. Um, is it really? Oh my goodness. The campus, the I mean, it's 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 beautiful. How's the football beautiful. atmosphere? Really good, actually. Um it, when they want it to be, like like they'll they'll get the people will show up and they've done a really good night, pretty nice job refurbishing that stadium as well. And the football operations facility just gotten done. Um but it's good. It's it's really cool. The just all the powder blue. It has a cool look to it, you know. Yeah. And it's uh yeah, it's it's a good venue. It's really nice. 
Okay, safe travels. Always fun. Spin Lugs brought to you by mybookie.ag. Use that promo code next round. Secure that bonus at mybookie.ag.